0: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to For the Girls. We have such an exciting episode for you all today. One thing we've been really fascinated by for years is what it actually takes to train and develop an F1 driver. And today is the day you all and us will get our <laughs> answers. We're so excited to welcome Bradley Skeynes to the podcast. Bradley is a human performance coach. He was Max Verstappen's trainer for the past four years. So Bradley helped Max and Red Bull to three consecutive World Drivers Championships. This involved Bradley taking about 370 flights around the world while he (laughs) traveled with Max and Red Bull on the road. Bradley also consults with the British gymnastics team and is a team member at Elite Formula and Physio and Training. So welcome, Bradley. We're so excited to have you.
1: Wow, that sounds uh, pretty cool hearing all that back. But <laughs> yeah. thank you for having me, and uh, yeah, love uh, love the concept of what you you guys are doing. So yeah, no, thank you for having me.
2: We're so excited to chat. We're going to dive into all your background, but first, we want to hear what was your day in the life like as Max's trainer while you on the while while you were on the road for a Grand Prix. I mean, I'm, I imagine there's not a typical day, but if you had to kind of describe one, would love to hear that.
1: Yeah, you're right. There isn't really a typical day um, because you go through different phases in the week, whereas we might be at home in Monaco or we might be on the road for, for a Grand Prix weekend. So um, with a Grand Prix weekend, the days are then very different. So Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday are completely different also um, if you if you think of a day in the life. So um, I guess we, we would arrive at um, the, the track on Thursday and, and for me, that would be a setup day. So, you know, I'd set up all the gear, um set up our our space our room area in the garage uh liaise with all the members of the team so catering staff make sure all the food is um locked in kind of our meal plan for for the entire weekend with timings and and so on and so forth um uh, chat with the engineers the mechanics just kind of make sure everything is uh um ready to go from from our side um and then we kind of get into the the sort of the real weekend as such, the sort of Friday, Saturday, Sunday when we when we hit track, um, and I guess the, the key components that are within each weekend. Um, you know, I'd drive Max into the track. We'd arrive. We'd have our, our first meal, breakfast, or depending on whatever time zone yeah. or ty- time <laughs> we we're racing, it might be a lunch. <laughs> um, we'd probably do um, maybe a short period of physio work, depending on you know. How he's feeling in that moment whether he's any aches pains niggles, areas of tightness sometimes you wouldn't wouldn't do that at all um and then it'd be a case of he'd go off and do his media marketing stuff or his engineering stuff and i'd prepare um all the kit and the warm-up kit um ready to go for um, the first session um then we'd warm up and, and then i'd be in the garage for for the session um and then, in between it's all about kind of rehydrate and get some nutrition in maybe a protein shake, maybe some food again, depending on timings of of where we are um and then kind of repeat for for session two and 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 also for qualifying and and the race um so so yeah it's um i, I think the race weekends a a bit more of like the the simple stuff when it comes to <laughs> kind of the performance coaches arena it's more about being. You know really good logistically and, and kind of having that the the systems in place right. to, to do it to do yeah. everything um everything the same <laughs> each weekend yeah. for, for 23 race weekends
3: yeah it sounds like you really had a good system on lock and i think one thing that you always think about with f1 is it's there's so much more beyond just the traditional like conditioning cardiovascular strength you have to think about jet lag extreme heat like extreme mm-hmm. neck strength all of those different things so to you, what are some of the really non-traditional aspects of training an F1 driver?
1: Yeah, for sure. I think um, I think the biggest non-traditional thing for training F1 driver is it's unique that you have to train everywhere. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> it's you know you, you have to train your your lower limb because you've got forces on the brake pedal up to you know hundred kilos, um, particularly coming into into Monza. Wow. Um, you have to train the upper body. Now the upper body is probably. The least because you've got power steering on the car, but you still need to be able to tolerate, you know, bumps and and, and the g forces through through the car. Uh, you train your core um, again. You're pretty well strapped in, but the core underpins the rest of your movement from from the arms and, and also the neck. Um, and then you have to train the neck. So there's not an area of strength that you you don't do um, on on the body. Then you have to be cardiovascular fit. Uh, on top of that then you have to be uh able to take high intensities because during the start and during overtakes you can reach 90 percent of your your maximal heart rate so wow, not only do they have wow. To do, yeah exactly so not only do you have to do long duration cardio um which they can burn you know same calories as a, a half marathon runner they then need to be able to tolerate you know the sort of thing that a sprinter would do you know if oh, you're nice. taking and your heart rate's going up that that high um and then you chuck in your your jet lag and your heat training for, for certain races so i think that in itself is is the most unique thing um i think the toughest thing to to do is to prepare for the heat um just because it is extreme like it really is we're talking like 50 degrees celsius plus in in the cockpit um and at races like miami and singapore you know you can't sweat that out because it's so humid as well so it adds a, a different component mm. um to it uh, the drivers can't cool themselves they have a number of different microclimates because of the the suit being fire retardant as well um Gosh, it's, singapore it's just looks so
0: so brutal this year <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, there's, uh, it was it was tough and they got lucky this year with Miami because it was a bit cooler and, and not as humid. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, you talk to Max and some of the other drivers, first year of Miami is the toughest race they've ever done uh, wow. in terms of the, the physicality because you had the same humidity as Singapore. So we're talking about like 80% um, humidity. But in Singapore, we race in the evening, at night. So right. yes, it's warm, but you haven't got the sun whereas in miami we raced at 3 30 p.m mm-hmm. miami time so you didn't you not only had the heat the humidity but you had a third um a way of heating the driver because of the solar heat um from from the sun as well so that was um that's pretty nuts
0: <laughs> even just being a spectator in miami is so so warm you could see people getting sunburned yeah. all over the place this year and i can't <laughs> imagine adding that to having a race suit on being in the car doing cardio it's it's crazy. But clearly yeah. you did a good job because Max seemed to handle Singapore quite well, given
1: he yeah, <laughs> seemed to handle hand- everything quite well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, we did. We, we handled Singapore well this year. Um, Singapore, Singapore was actually relatively easy to, to prepare for because we come off the back of a European summer, and European summers the last few years have been mega, mega hot. Um, so you, you spend your summer break. You know, we go out at midday um, in the south of France, where it's like 35 to 39 degrees Celsius. Um, And we go running in that heat. Um, Wow. It's brutal. It's really hard. But two or three weeks of doing that, you're kind of ready for Singapore. You're ready. Miami's the hard one because Miami comes in May. And unless you go away and do some hot weather training in like Dubai or, or somewhere like that, we don't really have a way of preparing too much for it um we just have to you know push the extreme of the training a little bit um so yeah that that for me is the 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 toughest i think to prepare for
0: so when you were saying summer break training does that mean even when max is on vacation you would have to be with him so that he could be working out staying on schedule and everything
1: yeah, so, so what we do is um, F1 shutdown starts a week after um, it's, Bel- it's Belgium this year and, and, and was last year. So final race before summer break is Belgium. F1 shutdown comes in a week after, and then there's two weeks where F1 is is completely off. And that means for staff back at the factory, they can't work at all. The servers literally get turned off. Um, for us, we immediately after that race – so. From Sunday after Belgium, it always used to be Hungary. Um, we're off for two weeks, so we go away. Max goes on his holiday. I go on my holiday, and we have two weeks, and then we come back for a ten-day training camp before we go to Holland or Monza, whatever it was. Um, so yeah, we we don't take the full time, but we get uh, we still get two weeks just to to, to rest and um, take a bit of a break
2: and is that similar for the off the winter off season or how does that training typically work do you get some time over the holidays to <laughs> relax yeah
1: so we get we get longer over over the winter um so after after the last race uh, sometimes you have testing after the last race in in Abu Dhabi we didn't do it this year but so you might stay until sort of Tuesday Wednesday in in Abu Dhabi still driving and then you go off on your holidays um, and we typically come back second week of January. Um, so you end up getting kind of about five, six weeks um, of downtime. Um, and, you know, we'll message a little bit, but there's no contact. There's, you know, there's no training. I, maybe there's a little bit um, with some friends when he's on holiday or whatever. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, other than that, that's, that's your kind of pure your time off the only kind of break you get of (laughs) of the year so we we make sure we take it Um, that's great i think that's important as well for you know headspace and and getting ready for the next season
2: Yeah. And when you were saying that the heart rate is, you know, can reach up to 90% of its max on overtakes at the start, are are drivers and his max, are you measuring any of that while he's in the car? Like, is he wearing heart rate monitors or anything that gives you data on that sort of stuff? Uh,
1: Yes and no. So um, we can't put anything additional in the car. So we can't have any heart rate monitors and stuff just because of regulations and safety and not having it um sort of fire regulated and and so on and so forth um they do have a biosensor in the glove um Mm. but we aren't privy to that data so that data is there for the medical team the f1 medical team Mm. so if they're and they'll be monitoring it in the medical car Um, interesting wow yeah it's more so if there's a big crash and you know you've got multiple drivers involved you know, for for a one medical car, they kind of need to know yep. where to go first, um, so they can kind of see who's uh, who's still them. Yeah. <laughs> um, make sure everybody's a, okay. A, a better condition, <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah.
0: And so, jumping back to your background for a bit, how did you get to be an F one performance coach? It's such a fascinating career. We know you have a masters in sport and exercise science, but how do you jump from that to? being Max Verstappen's personal trainer?
1: Yeah, it's. Um, I guess it's just uh, an interesting journey, um, uh, years of work in sport, which kind of positioned me to to get a little lucky um, in terms of just the, the connections and the network you make. But um, yeah, so uh, just from a, a, an education point of view, I did a degree in sport and exercise science and then my master's was actually in physiotherapy. Um, and I did another master's in advanced physiotherapy after that and some strength conditioning qualifications. Um, but I worked for years as a physio, um, working through, um, the UK health system and then into private practice and sport, um, worked in professional football, worked with team GB, so the Olympic team, uh, basketball, um, and then moved from basketball to gymnastics. Um, was lucky enough to be involved with some athletes that won gold. Um, uh, wow. The Olympics, um, which kind of put me on the map in kind of private practice video. So I was working at a, a very good private practice performance center on Harley Street, which is the biggest medical kind of street in London. Mm. Um, and from there, you just, you, you get to know a few people. Um, you mix in the same sort of elite sport um, circles and yeah, my name came up in in conjunction with you know someone who might be good because what they were looking for at the time was someone that was dual qualified so they were a physiotherapist physical therapist um for for the u s and um uh someone who was also a strength conditioning coach because they needed that kind of buy um that dual role um so my name came up, and um yeah i guess the the rest is history um <laughs> met with a few people and then went over to meet max in barcelona in 2019 um he was there testing some gt cup cars with his with his family just uh, about a week after the season had finished spent a few hours with him there and um, can't keep we... him
0: out of the car off
1: the track yeah we hit it off straight away and um um yeah as i said the, the rest is history
2: yeah. So let's talk about Max. I mean, we all know he is one of the most talented F1 drivers in history. What makes Max so successful and I guess the Red Bull organization overall from your perspective? Like is there an X factor with him and did you see that when you first met him?
1: Yeah, I think so. Um I I mean I wasn't I was never really into F1 and yeah. um you know cars and, and stuff in general, but I think having been around athletes and elite performers for a long time you, you get a feel for someone in the, you know, the way they hold themselves the way they talk um you know there was there was certainly a a destiny to 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 you know be one of the greats what cuts him above the rest i think a couple of things i mean you can talk about kind of performance aspects but i think just a couple of things generally um his his feel for the car is mm unlike, you know, nothing I've ever heard listened to anybody else's kind of radio. Um and I haven't been privy to, you know, some of the other what I'd consider elite 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 drivers in, in Formula One. So out of the twenty there, but um yeah, his his feel for the car and the feedback is is tremendous. And I listened to stories from him and his and his father and, you know, he talks about how his father would send him out in a go kart, and he would have changed something on the go kart, <laughs> and Max would have to tell him what it kind of changed when he came back in. Uh, but you wow. can see, yeah, but you can see it now. You know, he'll go out, and there'll be the smallest change on that Formula One car. You're talking, you know, a thousand pieces that go into putting this Formula One car together, and he'll know it straight away. Um, wow,
0: yeah, that's so, incredible.
1: Yeah, it's it, it's impressive. It, it really is. Um So there's that, and and I think. The, the second thing for me is people underlook the work ethic. They see the rocking up, going out on track, setting the fast time. Oh, it's yeah. Max. He's, he's quick. But you wouldn't believe the amount of work that goes into, you know, learning the track, learning the lines, Racing lines, watching the onboards, getting on the simulator and practicing. Um, you know, there's a reason why he rolled out in in Saudi that first uh, that first race in Saudi and just set purple lap after purple lap after yeah. purple lap. But it's because he's been practicing the track so much. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, and you know, again, having been privy to some other drivers, it's it, it's it's different. It is. Um, so yeah, impressive.
0: Definitely. I'm a huge Max fan. So I love hearing all of this. And I think you can definitely see the work ethic at Red Bull also generally as an organization. I think Christian Horner was just talking about this, about how kind of everyone has like a can-do mentality at Red Bull and nothing is impossible. And you can clearly see that being executed, which is amazing. So when you were talking about the day-to-day showing up to a race weekend, some of the warm-ups, the food, what is kind of a standard driver meal plan or workout for the race weekend because they have to do kind of reaction warm-ups and then presumably you want them kind of eating consistent food no matter where they are.
1: Yeah, we pretty much follow uh, a very similar meal plan for – 23 race weekends of, uh, of the year. Um, you're right. You don't want to be trying anything different. You don't want to upset the stomach when you get in the car or, or anything like that. So you, you get enough of that just because you're, you're traveling so much and, and visiting these uh, these different countries. Um, so, yeah, I guess on a typical day, you know, it might be we turn up to track, um, omelet for breakfast. Um, we kind of pre, um, pre-hydrating, pre-loading electrolytes, throughout the weekend um and then say it's a friday for example you hit session one in between session one and two you're probably having um, some sort of recovery shake which is high on protein high on carbohydrates um then you're into session two and um post session two you'll have a you know again a high carb high um protein meal to to help recovery so it's um know it's not groundbreaking stuff that meal might be you know some chicken some rice and some broccoli um, and a bit of sauce on 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 top it's um you know just making sure that it's it's well balanced it's good food um they're used to that food and you're getting the right kind of um carbohydrates and protein to give enough energy and enough recovery but also that you're not overeating and filling them up so that overweight on the mm. scales for the for the engineers <laughs> and, and, and the lap time <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious
3: you know what we love about Artakova's cowboy boots you can wear them all year round and for literally any occasion of course you can wear them at the rodeo or at the ranch but since we're in new york city we've been getting creative i even wore mine with a polka dot dress and tights to sarah's birthday party at a fun trendy bar in new york city Tacovas is western to their core and they believe in western for all and making their boots from the most premium leathers and if you can't make it to a store visit tacovas.com that's t e c o v a s.com and point your toes west and as a special bonus for you, Tacovas is throwing in a free trucker hat or ball cap worth $30 for all online orders over 100. Just use code F1 at checkout. Again, for a limited time, just enter code F1 at checkout to add a free logo hat to your order as a one-time gift from Tacovas, only at tacovas.com. So,
2: we have talked a lot about the physical aspects of it, which I know there are many <laughs> many of those, but Especially in F one, like you said, twenty three race weekends. You're traveling all the time across the globe. I'm sure mental plays such a big role in that, and kind of sports psychology, mental health overall. How do you think about that when training someone like Max, and you know having to move around yourself throughout the the, the year?
1: Yeah, I think um, I think having a good plan in place first and foremost is important. So we kind of plan out the year in advance um we split it into into four so you kind of have the first quarter of the season second quarter summer break third quarter and and then finally the fourth quarter and 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 your off season um first quarter mainly being mostly kind of pre-season and stuff and then within those kind of four blocks you're trying to look to um already kind of plan that bit of rest time so Mid-season, we'll also kind of take a week off from from training and and um, just uh, you know spend a bit of time apart or, or, or give some headspace or just give the body to uh, some time to relax uh, as well. And I think that's important, you know, every sort of five six races to, to do to step away from it a little bit um, a little bit there. So planning it out, um, you obviously have your kind of your goal setting um, that you do as well in terms, and we make sure at each one of those kind of four quarters also uh marries up with um with that um and then from there on you kind of know what to expect after that so you you look after if you look after everything else then that kind of mental well-being will will be looked after Mm. so if you've got a good physical fitness that will underpin you know a good mental health there um if you've got those rest breaks and those periods away from f1 and training um included then that's going to look after your mental health as well because that gives you a bit of time to spend with friends family catch up with with them which is which is really important um and i'm sure we'll come to that but you know is a lot of people in f1 spend a lot of time away from from family and friends and they miss out on a lot of you know key moments in in life because they're working the weekends and yeah, it's, it's true of most sports and, and we do it because we love it, but there is that aspect uh, aspect to it as well. So it's important to make sure you find that that downtime. Um, and then, yeah, just, you yeah, know, it's, it's a reason why I had a job and why 20 other performance coaches have a job. We are there on a race weekend to create the optimal environment for that driver to flourish and and do his thing. And that's how I always kind of describe my role, actually. You know, I'm there to do everything, so Max can just concentrate on racing. Um, And if that means, you know, sorting the meals or doing the laundry or, you know, moving a a bit of media marketing around or just simple, simple tasks, that's, you know, it's not – you know, to
0: make a huge sports. difference
1: yeah exactly i, I mean i'm trying to say is you know people look at the kind of mental side of things oh do you sit down do you go through imagery imagery do you do visualization do you do all of this well actually no just doing simple stuff like that creates the mental space for mm. an elite athlete to do their thing um and of course if there was things like that was needed we can we can lean on that um but a lot of those other stuff go go very much unlooked in terms of that mental uh mental well-being and, and that can be the important thing
0: and in terms of the travel and jet lag so 23 races this season we're up to 24 races some of the double headers especially are oh. wild with time zones we were in vegas and we were getting lunch with the team lunch to us it was 2pm they were all eating breakfast like their scrambled eggs and coffee <laughs> everyone was flying straight to abu dhabi so do you have any kind of creative ways that you combat jet lag or what what are kind of your approaches there
1: yeah, so I think Vegas was probably the most <laughs> the most creative we had to be, um, and actually we were fine as well, which was which was good. Um, but yeah, it was weird eating uh, sushi and Mexican for, <laughs> for breakfast at two p.m., <laughs> <laughs> which is what I was having. Um, so yeah, Vegas was, was was crazy. But we actually we prepared for Vegas by um, doing like an opposite jet lag strategy because the timings were were completely off we prepared in the same way that we prepare going to Singapore or Japan or Australia rather than coming out to to America that that was my creative twist on um on Vegas and actually everyone that that followed the plan I set was okay um so
0: (laughs) so what was the plan I'll I'll take that one what did you all do
1: so normally, um, so there's a couple of key determinants to, to prepare for jet lag. You've got your light exposure, um, which is the key determinant for shifting circadian rhythm, and you've got the the timings that you sleep. Um, which actually for me matters probably even more. Physiologically, it doesn't show that because light actually helps to shift the levels of melatonin and etc. But if you get your, your sleep pattern right, then um, then that's a good way of doing it. Um, and then the third kind of key thing within it is kind of like dosing caffeine when you, when you need mm. it to um, keep going, as it were. Um, so for Vegas, so going to America on a normal time, you would, coming from the UK, you would start by three or four days before, getting up a bit later and going to bed a little bit later. So... My normal get-up time is 5 a.m. So come into America four days before I get up at, uh, if I could, get up at 6 a.m. and go to bed an hour later. And then the next day, get up at 7 a.m., go to bed an hour, hour later even still, and keep shifting that way. Um, going the other way, we get up earlier. So if we're going to Australia or going to Japan or, or Singapore, you know, you get up at 3 a.m., for three or four days in a row and going to bed earlier so that you're ready to get onto onto that time zone um but for vegas we did it that way so we started to get up uh get up earlier um so that we uh we we were on the times that we raced as opposed to american time yeah um
2: required adjustment from americans as well like i felt jet lag just being (laughs) going to a night race
1: which was i think everybody but it wasn't just a night race was it it was like an early morning (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) people getting at 5 a.m 6 a.m it was was crazy
2: especially that Um, first night which was not foreseen by anybody
1: (laughs) no and, and that to be fair that could have been very dangerous you know yeah. seeing Max, seeing checker they were going out into that session they were tired um you know they slept like an hour two hours before even going out because it was like you know we're not getting the decision go spend some time on your own i can all wake you up when uh when when we're ready to go um but even that, the team were were done for um yeah. so yeah for me it probably wasn't the correct decision to to hang it out there I, you know you yep. get it from the, the money point of view and the spect- spectacle yeah. point of view but if something had happened in that second session um that would have been on them totally and so we know max has
2: spoken pretty publicly about how unsustainable this calendar is increasing the races what are your thoughts on that especially from a performance coach perspective
1: it is, you know. I think I, I sit in a, a, a very good, good moment to comment on that because twenty four races is, is unsustainable. Um, a lot of teams now are starting to rotate staff. Um, mm-hmm. Red Bull. Well, I don't really moment, see but, how
0: else you can do it. But yeah, the drivers and yeah, performance coaches can't rotate.
1: Yeah, well, some some uh, obviously drivers can't, but you know, some performance coaches do split the role. Um, that's not for everyone. Um, you know, both me and Max explored it for a couple of minutes, but we're very all-in people, so it would never work for never work for us. Um, which is, you know, absolutely fine. Um, but yeah, uh, but you, I think you, you're then only going to see maybe a deficit of performance. You know, you think of how well that Red Bull team works and how well oiled it is. You start rotating staff in and out, mm-hmm. and they, you know. Race on, race off, or a couple of races on, a couple of races off. Um, it, the the connection and the the fluidity wouldn't maybe not be there. Um, yeah, no, it is. Um, it, it is it is a tough one.
0: Yeah. And when you think of kind of training an F one driver, are there any misconceptions or? things that you have to kind of correct people on when they when they hear what you do or think about what goes into training an f1 driver we talked about how it's so much more physically demanding than a lot of people realize
1: yeah i think um at the start it was exactly that it was kind of what do you do for an f1 driver they just sit in the car don't they oh maybe they get a bit of bit of neck pain but you know what you what are you doing um I think that's changed, actually, in the four years that I've been involved. Um, People are definitely recognising the amount of work that goes into what it takes to drive an F1 car. Um, You know, hopefully I've been a little bit of a a part of that in terms of sort of documenting the story along the way. Um, Obviously, Netflix helps with that as well, because that often shows how the drivers train and and gives a a reason as to why. Um, So, yeah, when I started, it was, you know, the misconception that, you know they're just driving a the car, they're fine. Um, the term I always like to use is driver athlete. Um, so you know, it's you, I like that, it, yeah. And you do, you have to be a, an athlete to a point to get in the car. You know, I, I couldn't get in the car and uh put my foot on the accelerator, my, my head would probably fall off. So, <laughs> so um, so, so, so that was that. I guess now I think probably, um, any misconception now is oh they probably get a lot of neck pain um actually the, the biggest amount of pain that you tend to see in problem-on drives is lower back pain just because of the position that they sit in and yeah. the, the shock and the vibrations and the forces especially with
2: porpoising the, the <laughs> yeah
1: exactly yeah yeah and some of these street circuits are yeah are pretty bad for um for, for bouncing those cars so um yeah they can be pretty stiff
2: (laughs) yeah definitely i mean we get that even just as fans and podcasters in f1 of like don't they just drive around in circles like what's the big deal here (laughs) but there's a lot more to it than that so you announced that you are leaving f1 so what made you decide to to go that path and what's next for you
1: yes um it definitely wasn't an easy decision. Um, I have a little girl, uh, she's two and a oh, half and, uh, yeah, she's, uh, a lot more knowing now, you know, why are you going away, daddy? <laughs> Where's know, daddy? Going, daddy? Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and, and me and her mama are, are So it comes harder and harder to, to kind of see her and, and, and be yep. with her. So, um, you know, uh, go away on a triple header i'm lucky because i get to come back for a day or so in between but i could be away six weeks and and only see her three times and for me i want to be there and i want to be sort of a a dad for her so um that was kind of the major decision first and foremost um and then uh, i'm lucky that i've got a few projects work-wise going on um i have quite a um, successful, I guess, online kind of um, health and fitness business at the moment. I run it for an app. Um, yeah, we checked and,
0: it out. It's very cool.
1: Okay, thank you. Yeah, so <laughs> um, you know, people can uh, come on board and have physio and injury rehabilitation, or you know, they might just want to come on board and, and, and get fit. Um, and I have a real mixture of people who are injured and in pain, or um, people that just want to kind of get fit and lose a bit of weight. Um, and now that I'm a bit more available. I've got a, a few junior drivers on there as well, and uh, nice. um, doing a bit of work with with some junior drivers, both on the app and a little bit, um, bit in person as well. So, I think in a nice position now where I can hopefully pass a bit of knowledge down and help some younger generations on on the way to sort of their journeys while well, i still sort of spending a bit more time uh, at home for myself. So the travel definitely won't be over. Um, <laughs> I have a few other athletes that I work with as well, um, Red Bull athletes and, and so on and so forth. So um, yeah, you'll still see me getting on planes. Um, <laughs> maybe just, not uh,
2: 370 of them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: just maybe I'll be away a hundred days a year rather than 200 days a year. <laughs> That's a big difference. A big it's difference. a big difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's, uh, it's a, a nerve wracking time for, for myself but exciting at the same time and um yeah i'll certainly miss it but i'll be supporting from uh, from afar
0: yeah we can't wait to follow along for what's next for you and all of your athletes so we like to wrap up with kind of a rapid fire or hot take so a couple questions do you have a favorite race or a favorite circuit
1: favorite race or favorite circuit um favorite race just in general, is probably Austin. Um, nice. Yeah, I'm a big fan of coming to the States anyway. Um, always have done, as you can see from our previous chat, about what sports I'm into and, and what yeah. sports I like. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but just the whole feel for Austin is cool. It's a cool city, lots going on. The track is good as well. It always gives us a good race. It's quite nice to run, apart from Turn 1. Um, <laughs> and... And also, you know, it's not too far from, from the middle as well. That, you know, if it takes a long time to get in and out. That's probably one of the, uh, biggest pains for me. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah Austin, uh, Austin will, would be right up
2: there. We love that race. Austin's a great one. How about le- <laughs> yeah. How about least favorite double or triple header?
1: Least favorite double or triple header. Um... I'm probably going to upset a few people with this because this is a very <laughs> personal one, but I, I don't really like going to Singapore and Japan. Um, it just, it, it's just not really for me. I, and people love Singapore and Japan, you know, amazing rave amazing fans. Yeah. And, and, and in moments it is, but for me, I, I don't really like to the travel there. Um, and you, you just feel very kind of far away. The timeline yeah, doesn't yeah. really make, doesn't work to kind of speak to people at home and, and stuff so um yeah i always struggled with with them
0: do you have any hot takes or predictions for f1 in 2024 either red bull other teams anything you got
1: <laughs> uh hot takes Max wins again, hopefully. But uh, that's not... not very I, hot. It's not very hot.
0: I always say something about Max winning and Tiggy and Chess are like, that's not a hot take. Stop.
1: A hot take. <laughs> it's definitely isn't a hot take. Um, it won't be as close, um, for sure. Um, uh, who is going to... Make it not so close. I, I don't know. Uh, my money would still be on Mercedes to to be there mm-hmm. or thereabouts. But, um, you know, McLaren and Ferrari are, are, are supposedly making good gains as well. But, um, yeah, no, it's um, hopefully... Uh, Hopefully, all the guys and girls at Red Bull are celebrating uh, at this time uh, or at yeah. next, end of next year, at least.
2: <laughs> exactly, or sooner because this year they, you guys won like halfway through the season, almost. <laughs> Very true.
1: Yeah, I will take that as well. <laughs> yeah,
2: um, we love to ask everybody this favorite hometown recommendation. Whether that's a restaurant, a bar, a park, uh, anything. What do you What do you love to do at home?
1: What do I have to do at home? Um, Oh, good question. Uh, I live, I'm like a 30 minute train ride to central London. So nice. um, I like just to, to go into town um, you know, walk around the streets of London, just stop off in, you know, it doesn't even matter what restaurant, you know, nice little side street restaurant, mm-hmm. um, spend a bit of time in a, in a London pub, um, you know, really chilled and just, you know, spend that with of friends and family so um yeah i think i'm always the same every city i go it could be new york could be london wherever i like to do more what the locals do than go and see the tourist stuff so when i go to london you know just walk around some random streets and pop into to to places and kind of do it as as a Londoner would
3: well
0: you have to let us know if you're ever in new york and we can definitely show you some non-tourist activities sounds
1: good (laughs) to me i will
2: (laughs) Awesome. So I think that wraps it up. I guess maybe one last question is do you have any ex favorite exercises or you know specific uh workouts that you would recommend someone do to train like an F1 driver? I know you focus on that a bit with your kind of uh company right now, but what would you any specific exercises?
1: Yeah, sure. So um, funny you should say that. I do have a standalone three-month uh, program on uh, on my website, which is kind of mimics how an F1 driver would uh, would train. Oh, um, cool. So that's cool. But I think mean, if, if you really want to give it a go, um, try some neck planks. Um, oh, God. So where where oh, that sounds scary. <laughs> I
0: don't know how you actually do it.
1: So – well there's two ways the one to try which you know is not going to hurt your neck straight away, is to lean the back of your head on a on a chair or um or a sofa and then come up onto onto your legs so um you're a bit stronger going backwards than you are to the side, so that one won't hurt you uh, hurt you too much. But I remember I, um, first year, I I was filmed some videos of me doing a, a side neck plank, and I lasted like three seconds or something. Had <laughs> neck pain for about a week after. So do be do be careful, whoever's <laughs> listening to this. <laughs> don't try this at home, kids. Yeah. How, long, how
0: long can Max hold a neck plank?
1: Depends on the. Um, time of the season you know if we come into the first week of preseason, then it's going to be a lot shorter but come the end of the season you can uh, go into extension sit there for you know easily a minute wow but we, we wouldn't <laughs> test any longer than that so yeah. <laughs>
2: well bradley thank you so much this has been an amazing conversation we learned a ton and we are wishing you, you all the best for your next steps
1: uh, thank you for having me it's uh, been a really nice chat awesome